You're listening to the Insurance Podcast with Pete Tessier and Kurt Wyatt. Brought to you by First Insurance Funding of Canada, the innovator in insurance payments. Okay, so this podcast is kind of neat. We've got uh, Rob Reed, who's the president of Bison Fire, and we're going to dive into some really cool nuances of fire protection and risk management. And as you're going to find out, you're going to learn something. I learned something and basically outed myself as being kind of stupid. Well, hey, let's face it, Pete. It's a it's a complicated industry. There's so many facets of insurance that to remember and keep all that top of mind, Rob, Rob's in his space. He yeah. lives, he owns this industry as far as this is his passion. And you can see it when he talks, well, hear it when he talks that it is something that's near and dear to him. And, you know, we're fortunate to get him on the show. Yeah, we are. And he understands stuff. And that's a lot like our sponsor, which is First Insurance Funding of Canada. They understand the payments for insurance. And they've launched another industry first, which is the introduction of Interact e-transfer. So what you can do now is you can easily request payment for any outstanding receivable and streamline payments for you and your clients. Now brokers can customize their payment option form to include Interact eTransfer and improve their client experience. And that's kind of what Rob is helping brokers do if you listen to this. You're going to improve your client experience and you're going to make friends with your underwriters because you're going to learn something. And hopefully you're going to maybe walk away from a few risks that you shouldn't insure too. Hey, it's always a possibility if the business owner is showing like as he said earlier, neglect and the lack of maintenance and all these type of things, it makes you you know, aware that there is a moral hazard. And we are supposed to be underwriting moral hazards as much as we're underwriting physical hazards in this business. And even more so, I think, is what we're going to learn from as 2021 continues. So yeah. enjoy the show, everyone. It was, it's, it was very informative. And welcome to the show, Rob. Uh, thanks for joining us. And if you heard in the intro, we have Rob Reed, who's the president of Bison Fire. And Rob's going to sort of share some thoughts with us a little bit about what's going on with risk analysis, loss prevention, and, and some of those things. So thanks for joining the show, Rob. Really glad to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. So let's, let's kind of get right into it right now. For many in the insurance industry, the phase right now is water is the new fire. I said phase, I meant phrase. But fire is still a frequent cause of loss. And for an industry more focused than ever on loss prevention due to market conditions and and many other factors, what are insurance professionals missing when it comes to mitigating fire risk? What do you see? You know, some of the things, and I've had some conversations with different insurance people and even the real estate people, is, you know, when you've got a new tenant coming into a building, uh, you know, someone taking over or purchasing a new building. Having somebody like a real professional go through the building ahead of time and make sure that the sprinkler is up to standards. Uh, maybe they're going to be doing a different kind of work in that if it's commercial or industrial property. Uh, maybe there will be things the way they're storing it that will require different coverages to make sure that they are covered properly so that if there is a fire, it's contained properly. You know, quite often, you know, just because it's there doesn't mean that the sprinkler system or fire alarm system is working properly. I don't know. Is that kind of? Yeah, entirely. I mean, the way we see it is often as brokers, we break it down into classes of business and we break it down into the types of buildings. And and is that what you see as well too often is, is the structure itself? And then on top of that, who's inside that structure? 
Right. The occupancy. I mean, it's one thing to have, uh, I'll say, uh, an empty warehouse, uh, you know, that maybe um, canned goods, that sort of thing, versus a warehouse that's storing tires. Right. You've got two very, very different kinds of classes of fire. And you have to make sure that you've got the right kind of coverage and protection for that. Uh, I love how so, you use tires because yeah, exactly. <laughs> tire fire is such a fun, <laughs> a fun expression. Too deeply. <laughs> oh, no, that was good. Jump into the big ones. I mean, let's yeah. face it. Prior, you know, along with tires, I mean, for brokers, I think placing restaurants during a hard market has been a, a tough category. Mm-hmm. Clearly, maintenance of fire suppression systems. What, what can you tell us that you've seen? You know, example you gave tires, but what else other categories of restaurants have you seen where systems and technology has started to allow these risks to be not as risky as I guess I'm running out of words here to describe what the challenge is. So can you tell us from a technical standpoint, what's happening to break these things down so they're not as big of a concern to the underwriters? Well, I'm going to say that through a major push uh, 10 plus years ago now to get rid of old dry chemical systems, I don't know how badly we need to go back there at the moment. But even at the time, there was wet chemical systems that didn't make the cut for the UL-300 or in Canada here, the ULC-1294, which is exactly the same code, Canada versus the US. And we could play with that for quite a while. But what we're seeing, you know, even then is, you know, people are still upgrading the restaurants. They have, uh, I'll say, a left-handed cook versus a right-handed cook. He moves the fryer down to the other end of the cooking line, and yet he doesn't call in the fire protection proof professionals who then adjust the nozzles that are all very appliance specific. And because they're appliance specific, uh, what's going to work on a grill will not work on a fryer or a wok or a broiler, you name it, pick your appliance. But you have to make sure that what you're putting in place makes sense. So with restaurants, of course, it's upgrading as they go. Everything in that regard, and I mean, let's face it, making sure that the systems you have are tied in properly to the fire alarm systems. Are they tied into uh, gas shutdown or electrical shutdown? Because both of those things are considered a source of fuel. Because if you're running electrical appliances, electricity, as we all know, is a fuel source for a fire. Do those Is that kind of along the lines of what oh, you're yeah. looking for? Oh, yeah. That, that's fantastic, Rob. And I think, man, there's a little bit there I want to circle back on. First of all, I love the idea what you're talking about with containment. And I think that's one of the, the, the most interesting things about loss that we don't think about or people in the general public don't think about and often insurance brokers don't think about. Most losses aren't a pile of ash sitting on the spot. They're partial losses mm-hmm. and they can be a little right. more expensive to fix. But your idea of things is we need to contain this because one, it prevents further loss but it also saves lives. We're caught in the idea of what prevents loss and the dollar figures that come to it. But most fire codes and stuff, yes, loss is a significant thing, but it's loss of life they're talking about. And the two don't necessarily align. For an insurance company, having something burned to the ground and be ashes can be far more affordable than Mm -hmm. just half a building or two thirds of a building left. Because of the, 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 the what well, I can't even think of the term, but the, the, what has to happen to rebuild it, it can be a lot more expensive. But in the course of that, there could be a whole loss of other things that happen too, and including life and including stock and, and equipment that's costly as well. So that's kind of interesting. Where I wanted to go was 
I love the idea that you talked about left and right hands because you're thinking, I'm thinking left and right hand centers on a hockey team or something. And you're thinking of chefs. I'd never considered that. So mm-hmm. when you come into, say, a restaurant opportunity and you're looking at it to say, okay, we need to set up the fire suppression systems, are these the level of details that you're talking to owners about and saying, we need to structure us this way because you've got a left-handed chef and here's the design of your building. It needs to be, you need to think of this instead. Is that the level of detail you get into on a frequent basis? Absolutely. I'll give you uh, another example. We were installing a system into a restaurant a number of years ago now, and the chef was like six foot five. The guy was a monster and he kept whacking his head on the nozzles and that whole nozzle tray or, or line that's there. So we had to find a different way of putting those nozzles in. So we still didn't go over our maximum heights without him hitting his head. Cause what do you do is just grab the nozzle and push it out of the way. Well, you know, having a nozzle aimed at the backsplash does no good for anybody. So we had to redesign that to accommodate that particular guy. And it's funny, he's no longer the comp, you know, in that restaurant, but they all still remember him and that particular hassle. So it is very much, you know, because kitchen suppression systems are what we call pre-engineered, meaning that they've been designed by the manufacturer to work within restrictions and certain parameters. So if we go outside of those parameters, the system will no longer function as designed. So what that means is we have heights, we have amounts of lengths of pipe. So we can't mount bottles or cylinders, you know, in different rooms or in the basement. Everything needs to be within a certain uh, design criteria. And so we have to be very conscious of of exactly what we're doing. And when I look at, say, a, a system cylinder that's only so large, it can only accommodate so many appliances, so many so many feet of hood or duct sizing. And I'm getting into some specifics here. But when we talk about that sort of thing, you have to make sure that there's enough agent to put out the fire for the entire system. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I mean, I guess this is where experience and time in the industry has just allowed you to look at things from a different perspective is that, uh, like you say, you run into these challenges and you try to find solutions. And and, mm-hmm. and, and and knowing that dealing with business owners at times can be challenging, I think, for uh, for many reasons. I mean, they're stressed. They have a certain level of stress to running a business. And on top of that, they have expenses. And then you come in and say, oh, by the way, code says, hey, we've got to now go ahead and, and do this, this, and this. What What are some ways that you can work with business owners to help them sort of versus just giving them the quote and saying, this is what you have to do. Like, is, is there steps along the way that you can do to help them through that process to, to better understand what they need to do to get in a place where it's not just meeting code, but rather actually protecting against a, a potential loss? Do you guys well, do some teaching as such or what have you? you know, we do spend some time, you know, especially you know, there's, there's people that are definitely curious and they want to know. Uh, I mean, they're the people that there's two sides of this, of course, there's the group that says, you know what, you just cost us money, you know, Coke or, or the bread people, they, they can resell that. Re- they can't resell what we do. So we have to start, you know, explaining to them, you know, lost production time and whether it's a restaurant, a uh, commercial operation an industrial operation, mining, you name it, anything fire related, lost production is, is huge. You know, so if a restaurant is down for, I'll say they lose one day. That's a big deal. Never mm-hmm. mind at this time, but at any time. 
So you got to talk to them about, you know what, we're using the right products for the right reasons. We're not using aftermarket fusible links that trigger the systems. Uh, you know, we're not using aftermarket parts and pieces. We use the stuff the manufacturer is designed to work with your system. And we can walk them through that because, you know, I'll, I'll tell them so many times that the cost of your inspection and service semi-annually is far cheaper than a day without being able to operate. And once they start to understand that part of it, they go, okay, we get it. They know that they have to have it. You know, you can start talking to them about, you know, how many kitchens have young people working in there. I mean, it, restaurants are the staple of, of kids after school working in there. Uh, do you want to put those people at risk? And, and owners suddenly look at it a little differently because, you know, that's their kind of their work family and they don't want to see those people get hurt. So you've got to walk them through some of the what ifs and some of those can be very devastating. Rob, before I ask you next question, uh, I just want to take this point to say to the audience, if you like the show, you see value in it, and you want to connect with a dedicated audience of insurance professionals, then reach out to us. We've got advertising opportunities. So hit the website up, www.theinsurancepodcast.com, and click on connect with the show. Send us an email. We'll get back to you, give you some ideas and options, and hopefully we can work together. Thanks, Rob. So a couple things in there. One, we in insurance, we deal with business interruption claims all the time. It's when a company is interrupted by an insured peril and they're no longer there. I never thought about the management of the fire suppression system until you just said it now to contain the loss so that the loss production time is less, which the insurer would ultimately pay for on the policy. And mm -hmm. For a guy who's worked in insurance for nearly 20 years, it's almost embarrassing to say that, but you just kind of hit it in a way that I hadn't thought about it and made those connections. And it's a great point. Now, the other part there that I think is interesting. Always, and by the way, Rob, we're always amazed by the things that Pete doesn't know Yeah, when it comes to insurance. So, <laughs> Yeah, I out myself you know, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's startling sometimes, actually. Okay, you know? can, I, can, I, can I share with you guys kind of <laughs> oh, a yeah. restaurant? Oh story here. Oh, for good. sure. Oh, yeah. 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 So we, we love that. Yeah. So uh, this happened a number of years ago, but, you know, the, the kitchen system had gone off and the restaurant owner obviously upset, called us in. And in a matter of hours, we had them up and going again, but they refused to reopen because they called their insurance. Now, what they said at that time was, well, the system has gone off. Our entire uh, operation. Our kitchen is filthy. Uh, our dining room is filthy. And they were pushing very hard for this huge, huge, huge insurance claim. And, you know, it kind of went back and forth. And, and, you know, our argument was, of course, you know, our product did not make it outside of the kitchen. It didn't make it into the dining room. These people are working you for a free cleaning, which they were, in my opinion. And I'll stand behind that. Uh, and then it started going back and forth that they said, well, our cleaners have been doing this for 20 years and they know what they're talking about and they're professionals. And my response to that was, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I would consider myself an expert. The fact is I can back up everything I'm saying with ULC documentation that shows that the droplets from our system are not supposed to go more than one inch outside the area of containment. And that is a ULC requirement. And at that point, the conversation got very quiet. Oh, because I could boy. back up what I was saying with facts. Oh boy! So when you you know you know from your perspective, you you got that restaurant owner that wants a free cleaning for the cost of a deductible. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. you got to really think about where that's going to go and, and how it can affect. Because in the old days with those dry chemical systems I mentioned earlier, yeah, that was probably the case. But Oh, yeah. You just spray it, things it everywhere, right? Yeah. But it's not anymore. Those dry, hmm. wet chemical systems are very, very contained within the, uh, the hood and that whole cooking area. That's interesting. I see you learn another thing. This is good stuff. I'm going to be using some of yeah, this. I, you know what? I'll be honest. I didn't know that. Okay. Either. I will throw people under the bus. I have no idea. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's just amazing though. Like, and, and, and we talk about this, uh, we talk, talk technology a lot on the podcast and it really does, you know, affect every line of work and business and, and yourself included, right? I mean, uh, where you've seen the industry go uh, from and to today just means that uh, it's uh, it's something that you got to stay in front of your customer so that we can continue to sell them the right insurance and they can continue to not have larger claims when things go wrong. And, and hopefully over a period of time, it just brings the prices down, right? I mean, let's hope that all of what we're talking about here is in fact saving premiums so that they don't get spent where they shouldn't be, and uh, and in the long run, people get better service, like you said, and and it's it's a win win. I think brokers are always having to adapt to managed risk and strategies around fire prevention. You know, do you do you find from time to time that the brokers themselves are are chatting with you and your team uh, when when you guys stumble into certain strange situations? Have you had to deal with that? side of the business as well? I have, um, you know, and I've done a number of presentations for different insurance companies. I'll go in and, and do an educational piece for uh, for all their team. And it's funny that I'll suddenly start getting those phone calls all the time. Uh, hey, we had this happen over here, you know, uh, out in BC, and this happened six months ago. We had this happen in, in this restaurant. Uh, what are your thoughts? And I take a look at the pictures, everything that's presented, give my opinion. And that's all it is, is opinion. I'm certainly not on site. But there are things that, I mean, I can walk into a kitchen and in 15 seconds, turn my back to the uh, suppression system, look at the owner and tell him everything that's wrong with his system. Because I've been doing this for 30 years. So, I, you know, you become an expert. Now, you know, let's face it, you think you know everything and then Tuesday comes along. But <laughs> that being said, you know, there's just a lot of things that are very much reoccurring. Rob, one of the points you made before we kind of got off track with that great story, well, it's not off track. That's, that's, that's awesome. I love hearing stuff like that. But is you talked about how a lot of restaurants have young people working in. And let's face it, the restaurant industry inside the kitchen is an entry-level job for young kids, right? You're 15, 14, 15, 16. You maybe start working at McDonald's or any of the other host of chain restaurants or things like that. It's an easy job. You don't need necessary qualifications. A curious question here. Do you think there's any kind of correlation between things that happen in the kitchen that might involve fire and untrained or younger staff? And do you think that's a level of exposure that should be considered in terms of risk? You know, uh, not so much, to be honest with you. I'm going to say more often than not, the bigger problems come from poor housekeeping. Uh, they come from poor maintenance because these systems, when maintained, work, period. They do their job as designed. And I could probably sit here and share stories with you guys all afternoon, but I'm going to tell you that when systems are maintained, uh, the kitchen is kept clean. You don't have a problem. 
And I could take that out to beyond restaurants, to mining equipment, uh, the mobile equipment, uh, forestry equipment, uh, sprinkler systems, fire alarm systems. When they are properly maintained and kept to standard, they work as designed every time. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? Like it's the same as your car. You maintain your car, regular inspections and stuff. You can drive mm-hmm. a car for a long time unless you live in, in a in a cold weather climate full of salt and snow, but you can't control mm. that, but you can control what goes on in the engine. You can control what goes on in the systems and you can maintain that and, and keep abreast of it. So we kind of focus a little bit on restaurants here, but you just brought up some other industries. There's insurance for those too. What should people be thinking about when it comes to other industries as well? Like, you know, we think of buildings, but what about manufacturing? Um, What about other niche things that are maybe not involved in inside a building, but are outside operations? What are some exposures you see that often that people might not think about? Well, there's just so many. And, okay, we can touch on manufacturing for a minute. Um, Keep in mind that a manufacturer sets up their operation to work a certain way, but maybe they've changed a product line. So because they've changed that, their needs have changed, uh, getting back to the tire fire kind of jokingly. But once they've changed that production line, they may need to change the way they're protecting the new products or the new uh, manufacturing process that's coming through because it's a different type of hazard. So as they do that, they need to have a look at their fire protection systems to ensure that they have the coverage they need. It's just, you know, like I say, you've changed your business. You you know, you you change the size of tires on your car, your speedometer reads differently. So in the past year, we've seen a whole bunch of businesses, manufacturing businesses, adjust to making COVID stuff that can address the COVID needs. There's probably a bit of a switch in terms of maybe exposures. You're working with different things. It certainly became noticed in the insurance industry when you had someone who's like, well, I can't make, and I'll pick on the hockey equipment manufacturers because we all heard about how Bauer and a couple others switched to making different, making PPE gear, face shields and things like that. You know, it changes their risk exposure from an insurance side of what the actual insurer is insuring because the end usage. But did, so you're getting a lot of things there that where they may start bringing in different materials that they didn't have expertise in using. So you have things like um, WIMIS, Workplace Hazardous Materials Information Sheet, and that has a whole host of safety systems that comes with it too, right? In, in terms of how you address it. That's interesting. I, I never really thought about that of of the, of the business model change. Okay, well, I changed my insurance. I'm selling these things now. Well, did you change your fire system to make sure that you can put this out if there is a fire, that it addresses the needs? Did you add on, you added on square footage? What are you doing in that square footage? Oh, I'm actually doing this. It just, you know, the insurance brain kind of triggers in. You realize it's not so much about the overall operation, but how your new change to the operation affects what would happen if there is a loss and how to contain that loss. I keep coming back to loss containment. I like that. You know what? If you don't mind me jumping in for just a second. Oh, yeah, you go right ahead. One of the things I'm going to kind of touch on really quickly is with our fire alarm systems, because we're a a Siemens fire alarm distributor, and our smoke detectors have 21 different programmable settings so that it can react to 21 different types of areas. So it understands whether it's in a high school science lab, uh, a loading dock, 
you know, a high density dirt dust area so that it can read all of those different things. So when somebody makes a change, we can come in and adjust how their smoke detection is actually reading the air quality in the room. So again, all of those different things that come up and that's something right now that's exclusive to our product line, but talk about being able to be very, very reactive to changes in a building reactive and and proactive on the loss side of things and, mm-hmm. and that's super interesting i was just gonna gonna add to that like uh, you know you're, you're talking about how the systems can be adapted around the technology that the systems share how do you find moving between a geography such as you know you're dealing inside a, a large city that has various codes and requirements, and then you move to the outside into rural settings where potentially a municipality acts or carries on slightly different, or maybe doesn't carry on different, but maybe their ability to enforce certain things are different. Do you find that working with businesses, even between cities and rural areas, causes you to have to look at things a little differently? And and then on top of that, has your experience been that the rural exposures sometimes can be greater because fire halls are further away because let's say, let's face it you know the old adage of you know the guy the, the guy was once a farmer so he just welded up the system and he <laughs> got his you know, here he's got his manufacturing is his thing and you're all like well where did that part come from you know or where did that piece of equipment come oh, i made that you know like yeah. okay great is clearly not ulc or csa approved so let's figure out how we're going to get this thing insured. What's been your experience in that space? And am, am I totally off, off the mark saying that rural is, is a different hazard than urban? I'm, I'm going to say, you know, 10 plus years ago, you're bang on the money. Uh, but what's changed in business now is, you know, as a company or a manufacturer gets larger, I don't care if you're in Winnipeg or, you know, I'll use say Brandon as an example, where they've got some huge manufacturing facilities out there. Or, you know, uh, some of the smaller towns around, whether it's uh, Stonewall, Steinbeck, uh, a lot I'm of I'm purely picking on my buddies in Springfield, okay? I'll admit it right <laughs> yeah. now. So when they listen, they all know. Because <laughs> these guys can weld things that I've never seen welded before. But go ahead. Keep finishing. Yeah. But, but what, what's changed, though, is uh, because, the, you know, business has changed and grown, they've brought in a lot of safety officers. So safety officers don't allow a lot of that, you know, let's just make it work stuff anymore. They work at a higher standard and they start holding their maintenance people to a higher standard. As that all happens, of course, now those people are educated and they understand that they need to make sure their fire protection is up to a certain standard. So you're right, 10 years ago, 15 years ago and longer, of course, that was very true. But manufacturing has changed and I don't care where you're located anymore because they still need to hit certain standards, especially if you're an ISO certified company, uh, you know, places like that, that need to hit certain standards. Does that kind of oh, yeah, answer yeah, where yeah. you're going, Kurt? Oh yeah, you you know you hit that. So I want. I'm curious. Like you had a great story about the restaurant, Rob, and how that all fit together. What is um your experience with the most cause of fire common cause of fire loss that you you see and have experienced in terms of things? I know you're not a fire inspector in terms mm-hmm. of analysis on that, but but when you come into a building and you you walk around and someone, what do you go and go? Okay, the, the <laughs> I can set I can set a clock to when this one's going to go off. What what what's what's the common things? Neglect, 
Honestly, yeah. uh, you know, I said it earlier, you maintain the, your systems and I don't care what, you know, suppression sprinkler fire alarm, if they're maintained, they work. But uh, I see people that have ignored their systems for years. The, you know, because of budget cuts, maybe the fire department hasn't been coming through doing its inspections. And I know they've hired more people here in Winnipeg and they're doing a good job. But, you know, places get missed, things get skipped. You know, from an insurance point of view, you guys walk through and have a look at certain things and make sure that the right boxes are ticked. But was the job done properly? Was it done by a true professional, someone that's been certified? And when you look at stuff that's either been neglected or not properly certified, that's where you're not going to get your containment because the system cannot work as designed. And I mean, we go into places all the time and do our inspections and valves won't open. Well, if a valve won't open, water can't get to the, to the sprinkler heads to put out the fire. We find that out in the inspections and inspections are your annual maintenance. You and, know, so. and should inspections like everyone, here's the thing about business owners. When we come to an insurance, we tell them you got to make sure you have a regular inspection program going. And in if it in certain with restaurants, they want um, biannually, twice a year, fire suppression checks. Right, make sure the vent cover, the hoods, and everything are done. You're well familiar with this. It scares them. They get nervous. And I think the biggest thing is is when you say that and you ask that and you see nervousness. If you're an insurance person, that should be your first flag to say maybe I don't want to write this risk. And, mm-hmm. it, it, and it's that fine balance from the sales side, you want to make some money, or, 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 or the safety side and what it looks like from a standpoint of what your headache's going to be later. Do you see that with people too? Can you get a read when oh, you meet people like, right oh, away. yeah, this is going to be hard? Yeah. Right away. I mean, when you, when you have someone that looks you in the eye and says, as soon as I have your tag on my stuff, it, it becomes the problem of my insurance company. That immediately tells me they really don't care. They just, they want the the, the, the cheapest guy out there. Uh, and, you know, I've always laughed at, you know, the, the cheapest provider is going to find the cheapest owner and we're going to see them together on the front page of the newspaper right after the fire. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, okay. I mean, they're I like out there and, and, and that segment of people will always be there. Uh, those aren't the kind of customers that I'm looking for. I want people that take a proactive approach to their, their fire protection who want their systems to work. And, and, you know, my people want to take pride in the fact that they put in a system that truly worked. They did its job that saved a building, saved a business, saved a life. Yeah. And, and, and let's hope that that's ultimately what most business owners uh, think and how they act when it comes to, to running their organi- uh, organization. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you must have over these 30 odd years bumped into some pretty scary situations. So like, is there any, we're, we're, we're looking for some, uh, some more dirt. I <laughs> we guess, want but, some more stories. But, but, but like, no no what, names, but just some, some really uh, scary stuff. Like, I, I know the one, one I used to always see was in a warehouse scenario where this fire sprinkler system uh, was at a certain height. The owners would build uh, shelving units and then they would tuck boxes in. And then in between their inspection, uh, someone would come with a forklift or what have you and add one more layer of boxes. So mm-hmm. by the end of it, you know, the sprink, yeah, they have sprinkler heads, but the sprinkler head was literally, you know, half inch from a box that some kid tucked in just below the sprinkler. So it kind of, you know, it quickly you'd be like, hey, you're going to have to, you know, you need at least so much clearance there for this sprinkler to, but that's, that's not too, that's not too exciting. I wouldn't go home and, you know, tell my kids about that one. The rest been the odd one though, where you'd come home and you're like, geez, 
You should have well, seen I, <laughs> I, I can tell you a story. Okay. There was a, a place I'd walked into that was a warehouse similar to what you just described, Kurt, uh, but they had emptied it out and pulled in a whole bunch of sewing machines. It became a, a sewing factory. Okay, but sewing machines at that commercial level run on air. So they needed a air delivery system. So they thought, well, we've got all this piping running over all of our building. Why don't we disconnect the water, drain it out, and hook up an air compressor? And that's what they did. Awesome. <laughs> that's a great story. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> totally true story right here in Winnipeg. So oh, geez. I, I, have a, I have a question <laughs> for you then, because this is, this is kind of an odd one. Rob, you're not a plumber, but you see fire systems. So when you go into industrial buildings, a lot of fire systems, the piping is all done with what we would call black iron piping, right? Big, heavy piping. But in a house, if you have black iron piping and you have a legacy system, insurance companies don't want to touch it. Why why is it safe in an industrial aspect? But you, you know, it may, you may not know why it's safe, why it's unsafe in the in the homeowner's aspect. But if you have black iron piping or galvanized piping or anything of that old school iron, they want it ripped out. But it's all over industrial buildings. Why is um, that? Okay, first off, and I'm going to say we're still installing it today because you know it's not potable water. It's just holding water for a sprinkler system. Now, if you're talking about a house that is running its domestic water, which means your drinking water and anything else that's running through there, that's a big difference because that, you know, rust, et cetera, right? It's it into your drinking water. But when it's in a commercial or industrial building, that water isn't being consumed. So it gets a little, I'll say, uh, disgusting after a yeah. while because the oxygen gets, you know, out of the water. It, it uh, rusts and creates kind of this blackish kind of pretty gross stuff to be honest but um nobody's drinking it and so it's nobody cares in that regard uh you know will that pipe get old and eventually uh does it kind of rot through and need to be replaced yes but we're replacing it with the same right Hmm. so is there a higher pressure in those pipes too uh, the, absolutely. And it depends, you know, a high rise, we need to put, add fire pumps to make sure that we can get water all right. the way to the, the roof. So if you're uh, in you know, thin so, wall copper pipes, it's just going to, it's not going to be able to handle it. No, uh-huh. no, you don't see a lot of copper. Uh, I mean, it was used at one point and we're going back a very long time. You don't see it very often anymore, but it, it's uh, funny though. We do see a lot of plastic pipe going into apartments uh, and things like that now. Uh, and yet, you know, with the, today's technology, you can put a lot of pressure into, uh, you know, a, into plastic. I, I laugh because we hydro tested, you know, a pressure test at a Coke bottle one time and it needed to get over 600 pounds before it would blow up. That's just a two liter Coke bottle. <laughs> so it's amazing sometimes what, you know, these new plastics can, can hold for a pressure. Yeah. The PVC, the packs, all the different ones. It's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. I know earlier on there were a, a few, evolutionary fails with those things as time came on but they seem to have improved it there's i think i read about a brand a number of years ago that had some challenges after longevity with it but half my the plumbing in my house is now a version of pax piping and everything it's easy Mm -hmm. it's it, it moves really fast you're not soldering things it and it moves when if you happen it behind a wall and you put a nail through it tends to push it because it's 
loose and lighter as opposed to a nail puncturing it and right. or a screw if you're doing you know something like that which is kind of interesting too rob i think we kind of covered everything here but this has been super informative in fact I, I can't wait for everyone to listen to it and go, well, I'm not going to buy insurance from Tessier because <laughs> guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm kind of out of myself. No, I just, you know, have them talk to us together. I'll coach you through yeah. the weak spots. <laughs> but, you know, for, for people out there, you know, the, for the audience, all the insurance professionals, brokers, this is something that's a, a great value add to your uh, to your business to learn a little bit of the details and the nuances on that. So I highly encourage people to to reach out, contact Rob, get a hold of him at Buys and Fire. Our audience is national. And, you know, phones work everywhere and he'll, he'll take your call. And I'm sure if, if he's not in, if he's not able to get to your area, he'll give you a lead for someone who can, but Rob, thanks so much for reaching out to us. This has been super informative and a lot of fun too. So we really appreciate it. Well, I've really enjoyed myself. Uh, it's been a great chat guys. Uh, thank you for having me as well. Thanks for listening to the insurance podcast brought to you by first insurance funding of Canada, the innovator and in insurance payments.